Good morning. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, worship team. This has been quite a winter, hasn't it? Uh, Steve is down in Texas this week, uh, teaching it to every tribe, so I am incredibly blessed to get to open the Word with you today, but I heard that even down there this week there was an ice storm. So <laughs> I'm learning, uh, observing, I think there are two types of people in the world, those who love snow and those who don't. <laughs> this week, uh, on Friday, Dawn had texted me, we're under a winter storm warning, and I texted her back, praise Jesus! And then I, I went and had lunch with Jeff Johnson. I said, we're under a winter storm. He says, I know. But it, 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 uh, it raises emotions in those of us who love it and those of us who hate it. <laughs> Psalm 147 speaks to both of us. He says, I'm going to paraphrase, God sends his word and it snows. And it, he sends his ice crystals. And who can stand his cold? But then he says, and he sends his word and it melts. So there's hope for all of us. And... Tom Skilling says March 1st is the first meteorological day of spring, so we're only 27 days away, I believe. So, But uh, let's go ahead and pray start our time together. Lord, we're so grateful to bow before you as we uh, share your, uh, the Lord's Supper today. We're reminded of the price that you paid to bring us into fellowship. Jesus, it is all about you. I pray for each of us today as we open your word that we'd remember that, that we would be changed by your word, and as we learn of who you are and the fellowship that you have called us into, not just us and you, it is, to it is about us and you, but it's about us together. May we love you and love each other more. May our love for each other just grow in intensity because you loved us with an incredible hot love that you gave your life for us. And out of that, we will experience your joy. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, continuing the winter theme, about four years ago, uh, we had had a, a lot of things parked, or, or packed in our garage, so the car that I drove to work, we had to leave outside. And uh, about three or four days, so then I started driving the car, and as I was driving the car, I noticed the, the blower on the heater was making this kind of this rumbling noise. And I thought, wow, that sounds funny. And uh, of course, I just kept driving. Oh, maybe it'll go away. And the longer I drove it, it started to stink. And uh, I thought, oh, I wonder what that smell is. Ugh. <laughs> so I kept driving it. And then eventually, there was like little things on the dashboard, little pieces of stuff. And, and then it just kept stinking. I thought, we better take this in. So we took it into our mechanic, and he called, and he said, I found your problem. There is a mouse nest in your blower. I thought, oh, that's so gross. I've been breathing that stuff for probably two weeks. So he fixed it for us. Well, fast forward about three or four weeks ago, I start the car, different car. We got rid of the other one, not, not because of that. But <laughs> I start my car, and I hear this little rattling noise in the fan. I'm like, huh. That sounds funny, and I pull it out, and maybe it'll go away. So I drive it for a few days, and then in a few days, I start hearing, that really sounds familiar. <laughs> so, so I turn the fan up. Maybe if I turn the fan up, it'll just blow out, and it'll be all done. And no, that didn't work. And then eventually, it started to stink in the car. So I'm like, wow, could it possibly be there's another mouse nest in there? Well, Dawn, again, texted me. Not that Dawn and I text all. Well, we do when I'm at work, but we do talk to each other also. But, but, 
She texted me at work, and she said, Honey, I think I found the problem in the car. She says, uh, There is a mouse head on the garage floor where you park the car. I'm like, That is so gross. Not again. So we took it in, and sure enough, there's a mouse nest in the car, in the blower. And I'm thinking that he probably found a, a headless mouse in there, too. So you're probably wondering what the connection is with that and the message for today, but there is a connection. See, that mouse nest was blocking the flow of clean, pure air in our car. And the only way to fix it was to get it out of there. And there is a flow of life from God to his creation, to us, to have fellowship with him and and to enjoy him and to bring him glory. And he created us to have fellowship with each other and to enjoy each other. And in so doing, we experience Uh, his joy, and we bring him glory. But we know that sin has blocked this flow, and sin has set up a barrier between us and God. And in fact, Isaiah 59 tells us that our sins have made a separation between us and God. And that's why Jesus came, to break down that barrier. In fact, he obliterated it. And when we put our faith in him, our sins are forgiven, and our fellowship with God and with others is restored. But still, our relationship with God and with each other can get clogged, it can get blocked, and we have to work through that. We all still have our sinful nature that we have to deal with on a daily basis, and that, that flow of love between us can get blocked. You know, we get disappointed, or we, or we get hurt, or we hurt people, or we disappoint people, and, and that flow is blocked, and then we struggle, and then our joy gets sapped. And there can be great complexity and issues and several layers to our problems, but If we can understand that there's a normal flow that comes through Jesus, we can find healing and restoration, and we can experience great joy and fellowship, and we can love each other like he intended us to love each other. And today's passage in 1 John provides that normal flow, and it's really in our outline. It's very simple. Jesus, fellowship, joy. The first four verses of this book are the key that opens up the rest of the book, In in these verses, he tells us about how Jesus came to bring us into fellowship with God and with each other. And through Jesus and the fellowship that we experience with God and others, we experience his joy. Fellowship is all about a relationship. And Christianity is about a relationship with God and with others. You see, God is very passionate about fellowship. And so much so that he pursued us to the point of sending his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to proclaim that he is the way to fellowship with God. And he now calls us to proclaim him as the only way to have fellowship with God. And we'll see in today's passage that Jesus is the only way. We'll see that not only did he come to bring us into fellowship with God, but that we as his children might experience fellowship with one another. And when we understand this, when we pursue that relationship with God through Jesus, and we pursue a relationship with each other, with Jesus at the center, We will experience the joy of Christ as a result, and we will have an incredible testimony in our families and in our community. So there are three things today I'd like us to take home from all of this, and the first one is to to capture God's heart of passion for fellowship. And the second is to cultivate that heart, cultivate God's heart in our hearts so that we can pursue, pursue fellowship with him and with each other, with his passion. And the third one is to carry God's heart of of fellowship to the world by proclaiming Jesus Christ as the way that fellowship with God with, and with others is restored and maintained. We have heard the statement like father, like son. 
And there's great truth in that. We all know that our children tend to take on our characteristics in many ways. They might look like us, and they start to act like us. And uh, Dawn had given me a Christmas ornament a few years ago that was a picture of my brothers and myself sitting on my dad's lap, actually at my first Christmas. And our son Matthew and I, our birthdays are about eight days apart. And so he and I basically were the same age at our first Christmas. And we were looking at that picture and looking at him and thinking, man, it's like you can't tell the difference between us. And if you put our pictures side by side, you couldn't tell the difference, except mine's in black and white and his is in color. So, but but as, as our children look like us, they take on our characteristics. And as God's children, those of us who have placed our faith in Christ alone to save us from our sins, those who have been born of God, we will reflect who he is in our lives. We're not going to do it perfectly. We're going to sin against God. We're going to sin against each other. But we have a pattern of life that follows Jesus. It's, it's inborn in us through the Spirit. So since God is so passionate about this fellowship, we as his children also should be just as passionate. And since he has pursued us with his passion, we should pursue him and others with this same passion. And since he has proclaimed Christ as the way into fellowship with him, we too should proclaim Christ as the way into fellowship with him. John lets us know very plainly that we cannot separate our walk with God and our walk with people. We cannot claim to love God and hate those whom he's created. When our relationship with God is out of whack, our relationship with each other is going to be out of whack. And when our relationship with each other is out of whack, our relationship with God is going to be out of whack. There's no separation. If we love God, we love those he loves. If we hate those he loves, then we're just fooling ourselves about who we are with God. And Jesus didn't just come so we can have our sins forgiven. He did do that. But he came not just so we could live an island type of life, secluded from the world around us, but he came to restore us into fellowship with him and with each other, and then to put us on mission to go out and tell people about him so they can enjoy this fellowship. And when we get a grip on that reality, it can transform how we interact with each other, and it will give a power to our testimony, a power to the gospel that as we speak it, they'll see our lives and they'll hear the words that we speak. So today... These four verses, I said, give us a nice flow. Jesus, fellowship, joy. One leads to the other. There's no fellowship with God apart from Jesus. There's no fellowship with each other apart from the fellowship that comes through Jesus. And there's no true lasting joy apart from Jesus and the fellowship that he brings us. So let's look at these verses together. And the, the first point that we'll look at is Jesus. It all starts and begins and ends with Jesus. And in these first two verses, we're going to see both the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. Let's read that. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And the first thing that we'll notice about Jesus is that he is God. Now when we read this passage and we first look at it, it sounds like he's talking about a thing. He says, 
that which was from the beginning, which we have seen and heard, which we have looked upon. But as we probe the passage, we're going to see very clearly that he's talking about Jesus. In fact, the NLT version translates it by saying, we, will pro we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have seen and heard. There are two qualities or characteristics or attributes of, of God that are found about Jesus in this passage. The first one is that only God is eternal with no beginning and no end. While we as human beings have an eternal soul and will live eternally, we had a beginning. There was a time when we didn't exist. He says that which was from the beginning. And when we go back to the beginning, there was only God. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created. There was nothing else before him. And in the beginning, Jesus, the Son of God, was there. And while we have a soul that lives forever and had a beginning, there was a time when we didn't exist, but that's not true of God. He has existed forever. And to state that Jesus Christ has existed forever is to say that Jesus Christ is, in fact, God. David says of himself and us, all the days were ordained for me when as yet there was none of them. So you see, there was a time when David didn't exist, and there's a time when we didn't exist. But not so with Jesus. He has always existed. A few other verses shed light on this. Jesus himself said in John 8, 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple. Why did they pick up stones to throw at him? Because they knew he was saying he was God, because only God has lived forever. In Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And it's interesting, in the book of Isaiah, God says, I am the first and I am the last, and besides me there is no God. You put those two verses side by side, there's no doubt Jesus is saying, I am God. The second divine attribute of Jesus that we see in this passage is not only uh, that only God has life within himself. He's the creator and the sustainer of life. We, as his creatures, receive life from him. In this passage, we see that Jesus has life in himself, and in fact, he is eternal life itself. John uses the phrases, the word of life, the life, and the eternal life. And these are all phrases that are being used to describe Jesus. We know that this life was from the beginning, that this life was with the Father, this life was experienced in a very real way by the first disciples. Again, we get great insight from John's gospel regarding these uh, particular descriptions of Jesus. Uh, so we'll let John interpret John, so to speak. John in 1.4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus said to him, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said to her, John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. John three thirty six. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. 
John, 1 John 5, 11, and 12, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And finally, 1 John 5, 20, we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Make no mistake about it. And right after that, John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourself from anything that is not Jesus. So we could say that eternal life is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ and is given to us through faith in him. To have eternal life is to have Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith in him, in Christ, we, he, put, he comes to dwell on us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And this is incredible that the God of the universe would come and make his home in us. Jesus Christ is God. He always has been and he always will be. He is eternal and he is the word of life. He is life. He is eternal life itself. And then, one day, 2,000 years ago, a great miracle happened. This eternal God became a man. He became one of us. God had promised through the prophet Isaiah that a virgin would bear a child and his name would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. We call this the incarnation, God becoming a man. The fact that God became a man has been and continues to be a major stumbling block for the world. It's, it's hard for, for people to fathom that. How could God become a man? Well, John was writing to believers who lived in a culture and a world that denied this reality. In fact, in chapter 4, he tells them that this is the truth that determines if a person is listening to the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Antichrist. He says in 1 John 4, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So the fact is that the eternal God took on an earthly body. There was an old Michael Card song that had a phrase in it I love. It said, eternity stepped into time. It's a great miracle, a great truth, and it tells us how passionate God is about, about fellowship and about his glory. The more we think about it, the more incredible it becomes. God took on a body and walked among us. He's very clear about this. John does not want anybody to miss it. Notice how emphatic he is. He says, we saw him with our eyes, we looked upon him, we touched him with our hands. This is real. We heard him. This is not a fairy tale. He was made manifest among us. He was publicly seen and known. He became one of us so we could be one with him and one with each other. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Micah in chapter 5 tied these two attributes of Jesus together. He said, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So there we see Jesus from, for existing forever and then becoming a person. Why did he do this? <clears throat> because something was very wrong. God created man and woman to have fellowship with him. 
But they and we, as, as Adam and Eve's children, chose the way of self-rule over the way of God's rule. And that fellowship was broken. Jesus came and lived a perfect life, and he always chose God's rule in everything. He was pure and without sin so that he could offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. But the scripture says the wages of sin is death, and Jesus came and he paid that for us. So he paves the way for us to enter into fellowship with God and each other. So let's move on to verse 3 and talk a little bit more about what this fellowship is that he calls us into. Verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The reason Jesus had to come and the reason we must proclaim him is that we as humans have sinned against God. We've broken that fellowship. Jesus came to restore that. We may ask, well, what is fellowship? Well, it's a, it's a relationship. Uh, Holman's Bible Dictionary defines it this way. The bond of common purpose and devotion that binds Christians together and to Christ. So we see the binding to Christ and to each other. A common bond, a unity, a common devotion, love. Those are the two things that really define our relationship with God and with each other. And notice, as we, we think about the restoration, how we become restored to that fellowship, he says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. To say that something must take place for fellowship to occur means that there's a lack of fellowship. He says, so that. In other words, we didn't have fellowship. I'm proclaiming to you a way that you can have fellowship. Well, the scripture tells us, again, that our sins have made a separation between us and God. And only in Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away our sins, is that separation or broken fellowship restored. But John says what we have seen and what we have heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship. And I thought, well, what, is, what did John see and what did John hear? And I thought, well, let's go back and let's take a jet tour through the Gospel of John and see exactly what it is he saw and what he heard. Because what he proclaimed, he said what I saw and what I heard, I'm proclaiming to you so you can have fellowship. So let's just look at that. So strap yourselves in. This won't be an exhaustive verse-by-verse -verse exposition of John, but I just want to look and get a big picture of what it is John saw and heard that he's telling us is necessary for our, our fellowship. In John 1, he is the Word who became flesh. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He sees Jesus attend a wedding, and he turns water into wine. And then he goes, and he cleanses a temple. And then chapter 3, he has a conversation with one of the religious leaders of the day, Nicodemus, and he tells him, Nicodemus, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And then he tells him, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In chapter 4, he sees Jesus breaking protocol and talking to a Samaritan woman at a well. And he hears him speak of the living water that he offers. And then he hears him tell her that those who worship God must do so in spirit and truth. In chapter 5, he sees him heal an official son in Cana who had been near death. And then he heals a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. Then he sees him feed 5,000 people with five 
loaves of bread and two fish. And then he proclaims that he is the bread of life, and that whoever believes in him has eternal life. He heard him say that those who believe in him will have rivers of living water flowing out of their heart. And this he spoke referring to the Holy Spirit that those who believe in Jesus were to receive. He saw him forgive a woman caught in adultery. He heard him say that he is the light of the world and he called people to follow him. He heard him say that the truth will set you free and that the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. He saw him heal a man blind from birth. He heard him say he was the good shepherd. He heard him say that he and the Father are one and no one can snatch us out of his hand. He heard him say that he is the resurrection and the life, that whoever lives and believes in him will never die. And then he saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. He saw him wash the disciples' feet. He felt the water on his own feet and Jesus' hands as he washed his feet. And then he said, now the rest of you do this for each other. He heard him say that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And then he heard Philip say, well, Lord, how do we know the way? He says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He heard him promise that the Holy Spirit would come to dwell in believers and be with them forever. He heard him say that he was the vine and we are the branches, and that when we abide in him, we will bear much fruit for him. He heard him say that the world would hate them just as they would hate him. And then he watched him betrayed, abused, and crucified. He heard him say that there's no greater love than to lay down your life for others, and then saw him do that by going to the cross. He heard him from the cross say, it is finished, as he paid the ultimate price for our sins. He was the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He saw that he was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead. He saw the scars in his body from the cross. He heard him say, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Following his resurrection, he saw him and he tasted an amazing fish breakfast that Jesus prepared for them on the beach. Can you imagine what that must have been like? I like fish, but that had to be the best fish meal ever. And then John sums up his gospel with these words. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And then in Acts chapter 1, he saw Jesus tell them to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, and that when he came upon them, they they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the entire world. And then he saw him ascend up into heaven. So this is what John saw and heard. And what he proclaimed so that by believing, we can enter into this amazing fellowship with God and with each other. What is the nature of this fellowship? John proclaims Christ, all that he saw and, and did, and all he heard him say, so that by believing we may have fellowship. But who is this fellowship with and, and what is the nature of it? As we look again at this verse, he says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Through the gospel of Christ, we are called into fellowship with God and other believers 
in Christ. The us and the ands, little words, but huge meaning, will actually define for us three different yet inseparable relationships. The us connects believer to believer, man to man, woman to woman, man to woman. The connection is Jesus. When we come to faith in Christ, we are connected to every other believer in him. There's, there are no Lone Ranger Christians. <clears throat> we are all part of each other. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, joined together by Jesus Christ. Then he says, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Now this and connects us to God. There is a union here. We as individuals are one with God, and as a body of believers, we are one with God. And how does this happen? The scripture tells us that when we are born again, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in us. He tells us that he baptizes us into one body. We become one with him through faith in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. There is union between the believer and Christ. Ephesians 4, 4 to 6 tells us this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one, the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So there is an inseparable union that involves all the members of the Trinity and us. Fellowship is a mirror of the triune God. Fellowship has at its core unity and love. And those are two distinctive attributes that of God, of God that John reveals, that the Holy Spirit reveals in this book, unity and love. And then notice the and. He says our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we see the word and, it connects two things. So when we see the Father and Jesus, there, there's, there's an inseparable union there. Jesus and the Father are one. John 2.23 says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You cannot separate the Father from the Son. In chapters 4 and 5 of this book, we'll see the Spirit of God testifying to Jesus Christ as the Son of God. You cannot separate the Father from the Son, or the Father from the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit from the Son, Jesus Christ. There's no separation in the Godhead. There's one God and three persons. God is one and yet he exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And our fellowship is rooted and grounded in him. So as his children, our fellowship should be characterized by unity in Christ. Ephesians 4.3 commands it. He says to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And as we do that, we reflect the image of God and we bring him glory. The other attribute of God that John brings out very clearly is that God is love. He says so in John 4, 1 John 4, 16. It is who he is. It's the very core of his being. At Jesus' baptism, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove, and the Father spoke from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we see there again the Trinity in perfect unity and love. Because God is love, then we as his children should walk in love, and as we do, we will reflect his image. 1 John 4, 7, and 8 strikes right to the heart of this. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, 
For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So what does it mean to love? Again, John defines it. He says in 1 John 3, 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So we in, in fellowship must be willing to put others first, must be willing to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters in Christ. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. So when we have conflicts that arise, and they will arise because we are sinful in nature, we need to start the resolution with Christ. We need to have Christ in the center of it all the way through, and we need to finish with Christ. This is not an option, it's a commandment. 1 John 3.23 makes it very clear. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and, there's that word and again, love one another, just as he commanded us. So we can't say, I believe in Jesus and hate those that he died for. Cannot separate our faith in Christ from our love for each other. It's embedded in us. It's, it's embedded through the Holy Spirit of God, the triune God who is at the core unity and love and placed his spirit in us. We must love each other. And as we do, as we love him, as we walk in unity, we, we reflect his image. And do we do it perfectly? Absolutely not. That's why in chapter 1, he talks about walking honestly with God and confessing our sin, but in resting in Christ for forgiveness and cleansing, and by seeking to love our brothers and sisters in Christ in light of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 gives us good insight and hope into this whole process. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the Lord is in the process of transforming each one of us into his image. We're not there yet. We're all in the process. Um, but it's, it's, it's going to happen. He says it's going to happen. So um, we can take great hope in that. Now, right before Jesus was betrayed by Judas, he had an amazing conversation with the Father. He prayed for the disciples and all believers of all time, including us, and we'll see that verse in a second, in John 17. And listen to Jesus' prayer and let the weight of his words sink deep down to our hearts and see how important our fellowship really is. Notice how he talks about unity and how he talks about love. John 17, 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's talking about us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, 
to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Do you feel the weight of those words? What the world sees in the fellowship of the body of Christ affects what they hear. Jesus says, I want them to be one so that the world may believe that you sent me. When they see us walking in unity and love, they see the truth and reality of the gospel. So striving together in unity and love and fellowship together is an essential part of our fellowship and our mission to proclaim Christ to the world. Now, we know that Jesus always prayed in perfect harmony with the will of the Father, so this prayer will be answered. We can count on it, and we can take great hope on it. But it's also challenging us to to see the need to make the priority of pursuing love and unity amongst ourselves. Again, the unity of the body of Christ is a testimony to the power of the gospel to the world. So we really see God's heart of passion for fellowship is rooted in his own nature of love and unity. And he's so passionate about it that he first created the world and mankind. And then he proclaimed restoration by sending Christ into the world to restore that fellowship that was broken in the Garden of Eden. And now he sends us into the world to proclaim Christ as the way to fellowship. We have an amazing mission. And Paul, in Philippians 1.27, called us to, he said, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We are standing side by side together as a body of Christ to proclaim the gospel. And as we pursue fellowship with God and others through Christ, then there's a flow that comes through that, and that's joy in verse 4. Another and. And we are writing these things so, so that our joy may be complete. When we're pursuing Jesus and pursuing fellowship, joy follows. It's connected. What is joy? It's not an external happiness that's based on circumstances, but a supernatural and internal happiness that's based on a settled confidence and hope from the person of the Holy Spirit living in us. Galatians 5 tells us that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, So it's not natural to us. It's not part of our flesh. And again, John 15, 11 tells us that this joy comes from Jesus and through the words that he has spoken. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So when we as believers are walking in fellowship with God and one another in love and unity, our joy is complete, it's fulfilled. But remember, we're a work in progress. Let's love each other in grace um, and realize that, that uh, God is in the process of transforming us into his image and he will complete what he has begun. So as we draw to a close, let me ask this question, why is it at times so hard to do this? Why do we still struggle with one another in the body? Why do we still struggle in our marriages? Why do we still struggle in our relationships? Galatians 5 tells us that we still have a battle going on. We still have this flesh. And that the spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. 
We are sinners saved by grace, and we're not going to be perfect till we get to heaven, but we constantly have this flesh every single day that we have to battle. And I mentioned that there are three things that I want us to take home today, and I believe that they can help us in this battle. <clears throat> and the first one is to capture God's heart of passion for fellowship. Well, how do we do that? Well, we need to spend time in his word and, and in prayer seeking him. It's only through opening the word of God that proclaims Christ, that's written by the Holy Spirit, that we can discern the mind of Christ. And it's through the word of God that Romans 12 tells us that we are transformed. If I have a conflict with someone, I want to go to God first and ask him to search my heart. Psalm 139 uh, is a great one to meditate upon. He says, you know, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, how am I looking at this right? Is there sin in my life? Galatians 5 is just, just to look at and realize there's the flesh, that's what I am without God, and there's the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I want those things to be seen in this situation. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, you look at that, love is patient, love is kind, it's not arrogant. Uh, you, know, you look at those things, you say, am I doing that? So we start with us and God. And then another one I would say is to see the bigger picture of fellowship and mission and read through John 17 and say, this, whatever this issue is, the mission of Christ is bigger than this moment. And if we as believers can say, wait a second, Christ is at the center of this. How can we resolve this and bring him glory? Because we want to proclaim his name so that others can have this fellowship too. Pray that we as the body of Christ at KBC will walk in love and unity so that our proclamation of the gospel will be effective. And pray for all the marriages at KBC that we would walk in love and unity so that we would be effective in our our gospel message to our children and to our neighbors and, again, to the world that God calls us to. The second point is to not only to capture God's heart of passion, but to cultivate that God's heart in our hearts so that we pursue him and pursue fellowship with him and others with that same passion. Seek to bring God, bring the gospel into every conflict. 1 Corinthians 3.16, love lays down our lives for others. When we come into a conflict, you know, be willing to put that other person first. Determine if this issue is truly a gospel issue or a preference. Um, I might see one thing one way, you might see it another way, but it might not necessarily be a, a live or die gospel truth. And when we look at it that way, it's still an issue to work through, but we don't need to get on each other's nerves about it. We can work through it with love. And when there is sin involved and there's hard issues, we can choose to define others by the love of Christ rather than their sin or what the disagreement is. 1 John 2, 2, John says that Christ is the propitiation for our sins, not just for mine, not just for yours, ours. So when I look at an issue and I say, well, Christ died for my sins, but he also died for yours, then I, can, I have to be willing to accept his sacrifice for you as well as I accept it for me. And that's how we can come together. 
And the third one is to carry God's heart of fellowship to the world by proclaiming Jesus Christ as the way that fellowship with God and others is restored and maintained. So pray for open doors to share Christ with those that he brings in our path. You know, we, we think of preaching the gospel to those that don't know him, but we need to preach it to ourselves too because we need to be reminded daily that Christ is uh, the beginning and the end, that he is the source of our salvation, that there is nothing that we can bring that will uh, present ourselves to God as being righteous before him. It's only in his death and his resurrection. So we preach the gospel to ourselves and to each other and remind each other of that hope and that source of our fellowship and joy. So why don't we pray? I'm, just like, I'm going to just give us a moment just to reflect on that, and in a few moments I'll, I'll pray, and, um, and we'll just commit this to the Lord. And my prayer is that we would uh, go from here with a resolve to, to do these things in Christ, to, to love each other and to be passionate in our love for each other and for him. And if you are uh, here today and you've never known that fellowship with, with Christ, you don't know what it is to trust in him. Uh, he has made the way for you. The scripture says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we proclaim Christ so that by believing you may have life in his name. Father, we are so grateful <clears throat> that you are passionate about fellowship. It's at the very core of who you are. And you have sent Jesus into the world to show us that and to die in our place so that by believing in him we may have fellowship with you and with each other. And Lord, we confess that we fall short still, even as we have placed our faith in you. We don't pursue you as we should. We don't pursue fellowship with each other as we should. We don't proclaim Christ as we should, but we fall right back on him and rest in his unchanging grace. We rest in his perfect sacrifice. And I pray that as we go from here today that we might be uh, just renewed in our love and our passion for you and renewed in our love and our passion for the fellowship that we have together as believers. We praise you, God, in Christ's name. Amen.